in Tuscaloosa. We're going to minister the word. We're going to start a new series this morning. I love new series. We just we always just squeeze out a subject. Just, you know, just squeeze it out until there's nothing left. Because the word tells us to have mastery. Mastery. Why do people get master's degree? Well, they don't have mastery in the subject. They have a general consensus, a general knowledge. They have a, a broad general view. But if you want to take a subject or a vocation or a, uh, you have to have an expertise, you got to go more. You got to study. You got to pinpoint uh, where you master that. And then if you even want to go further than that, what, what else could you learn? You could get a doctorate. You could really squeeze it out. Well, we're, we're all taking our doctorate in the kingdom here. I know you can go anywhere and you can get your bachelor's or whatever. And I'm not comparing this to anything that anybody's done educationally, but I'm just saying that is what we're doing. We're all getting our master's degree in subjects. You need to know how to cast out devils. You need to know how to prosper. You need to know how to heal the sick. You need to know when, when they uh, tell you it's your job, this is over. You're going to have to go find something else. You need to know what to do. Well, not, not how to cry and not, and, and not to, who to put on the prayer chain. You and I need to know what to do because in the world there's trouble. So we need to know what to do when trouble comes. And Jesus fixed trouble for us. So we want to start a series called Owning a Revival Culture. Owning a Revival Culture. You know, uh, we sang this morning, anybody here looking for a revival? In your own heart and across the land. Well, I am. Woohoo! So we're going to take our, uh, if you don't know anything about it, you'll be in the bachelor program this, this morning for a few weeks or whatever. And then uh, trust that you'll take your word and you'll start listening, things that we talk about, things we minister. You'll start seeing it in the word for yourself. This is certainly not exhaustive. This is certainly not scholarly. But it's, uh, it'll get you on the right road. But it's up to you and me to get in our word to pray. We should be taking what we did Wednesday night about praying for the nation and taking that sheet that we handed out, but just getting in your closet and saying, it's time to pray for this election. In January, I'll get to that in January. You're going to be too late. Are y'all here this morning? Praise God. So owning a revival culture. So if you would in your Bible, turn with me to the book of Acts. Chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. We're going to own a revival culture. You go, well, what is that? I'm glad you asked. I've been, I've been appointed to explain. And so I will. In Acts chapter 2, let's look at what the Bible says about a revival culture. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And when the day of Pentecost, and that was a feast that they had. It wasn't something that was peculiar to that year. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Say that part with me. They were all with one accord in one place. Let's put it in the present tense. And we are all in one accord in one place. That's a faith statement. So let's say it again. And we are all in one accord in one place. Well, anything that's not lining up to that, anything that's de uh, uh, deviated from that, we're going to fix it. We're going to change it because this is how a revival culture starts, that we're all in one accord in one place. It's more than just being born again and in the body of Christ. 
Amen. Well, let's look again. Let's, uh, let's go to chapter 2, verse 14. He said, uh, it says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all that dwell at Jerusalem, be ye known unto you and hearken to my words. So there's preaching in a revival culture, a hearkening to some words. So revival is uh, revival without a culture is simply a rally. It's got a start time and it's got an end time. Uh, a revival without culture is a renewal. Y'all ever been to those church meetings where you got a renewal? Everybody came and had a special speaker and had special music and, and, uh, and uh, everybody got revved up. It was a renewal. Or a revival without culture is an advance or it's a concert. It could be a concert. We have lots of concerts going on, Christian concerts. Everybody likes to go to them. Or not everybody. <laughs> There's some of us that doesn't care for them, but uh, whatever. But all of that stuff is temporal, fleeting and passing away if there's not a culture to support it. And, and when, the, when the meeting is over, when the concert is over, guess what? Tradition just resumes. It's a, it's a blip and back down and then carry on. And so we got to find out, because we're going to talk about all the elements of a revival culture. What is a revival culture? If it's more than just a meeting, it's a culture, like we're having an American culture right now. You and I are having a uh, Protestant culture, so to speak. We're not Catholic, and we're not Muslim, we're not Jewish. We're having a Protestant culture, and we're having a Spirit-filled or a Pentecostal culture. It's a part of, of the in, embedded in our fabric is this culture that we never get far from it. It doesn't mean we do everything the same every time, but it means there's a line that we hold to. Uh, and it, a revival culture is embedded, just like you are embedded to, uh, in a culture now about indoor plumbing. Aren't y'all glad we have indoor plumbing? Do we need to talk about what the other looks like? Hallelujah. You know, it's, uh, but it was real and it was what they had. It was their culture. Uh, do we need to know about uh, uh, kerosene lanterns? No, we have a culture right now that's uh, flipped the switch and boom, it's on before you can even tell. Uh, we have a culture in our nation about Sunday being the day of the Lord or the church day. It doesn't have to be on Sunday. We don't do it because of the word. Actually, if we were going to do the Sabbath, we wouldn't do it on Sunday. And it doesn't matter. We could do it on Tuesday. Why do we do it on Sunday? It's our culture. And we flow with our culture. We just soon have it today or another day. But uh, our work week works that way and all that stuff. We used to have a Wednesday night culture in America where churches and sports uh, did not practice and churches had events. And so they let you off early or they didn't give you a lot of homework on Wednesday. All that was in our culture. But then they started practicing sports on Wednesday and they started uh, uh, giving you homework. And all of a sudden that part of our culture has dissipated. It's not a part. It's not an identifying marker in our culture. So it's embedded. A culture is something that's embedded. It's got values. There are values in a culture. There's things that we don't just say, I don't prefer this or the other. You pick. I'll, we do that. We can do that. That's not a culture. It's something that has values. We 
We come to church because it's our culture, because it has values. We read the Bible. It's our culture. It has values. We live in a, uh, uh, a pluralistic society. We, we believe in, a, in marriage. That's our culture. Marriage is our culture. You think, well, everybody does that. No, there's all sorts of cultures, and uh, they're not always that. Uh, and our culture, a, any culture, has goals. We, we are pressing towards a mark. It has practices. It has things that are peculiar about it. It's a culture, and it's all in the people towards an intended goal. Like Jonathan was saying, be intentional. Well, our culture is intentional. Less and less than it was, but it still is maintaining some of that. People that have a culture share a conviction. You know, if you don't have a conviction, you have a preference. So some people are, don't have a conviction about the Bible or a conviction about marriage between a man and a woman or, or a conviction about abortion and that. They don't have a conviction. They have a preference. And that preference will take you so far. It'll, it'll get you up to a certain line. And then when the price becomes too much to maintain that preference, that conviction, excuse me, then it becomes a preference. We abandon it. You know, like, well, I, I have a conviction to tithe unless the rent's not there. And then I have a preference to tithe. Is that right? I, I have a conviction to go to church every Sunday unless something comes up. Then it becomes a preference, doesn't it? Amen. Uh, you might have a conviction not to cuss. <laughs> unless you hit, your, hit the wrong nail with that hammer. Hallelujah. And then it might come a flying. So uh, it's, we have a conviction in a revival culture about a continual move of God. We're not satisfied in our culture to have a once a year scheduled in August. That's what the church I went to for years. Every third week of August, they had a revival. And we had an evangelist would come. And we would have special music man would come. And he would, we'd bring in the sheaves with a new guy or whatever. So... Uh, that's not what we are. We, we have a, uh, a, con a conviction for a continual move of God. So it doesn't mean we always host it, but it means we do things. We have things in place. We put off things that, sh that are against it to have a continual move of God. Revival is a continual move of God. So sometimes we get off the line and we don't do things that uh, foster that, that uh, bring that about, but it's always our intention to go back to it. And a culture that grows becomes more and more adamant about those things and begins to, to have more participation and more conviction till the culture grows in a conviction that everybody's in. And here at River Church, we have a culture. We, we should I say it? You know, we have a culture of commitment here. People that are not wanting to commit, there's just the message, just the, uh, uh, it, it exudes commitment. It, it exudes faithfulness to the Lord. And so we, what would you say, we harp on that maybe. We, we, that's a part of our culture. And so people that don't want to come, but just now and then, and don't want to now and then and all that, they have a preference about it. They're not always comfortable in that culture. 
If you, if you have a sign on your front door at your house and says, no smoking in my house, that's your conviction. And people that don't have that conviction might just go to the next house. Do you see? It's a, it's a conviction. It's something that we don't always bear out, but we want to. And so it's something that we carry forward. Say carry forward. A culture is something that carries forward. And the truth is, you're carrying forward until the Lord helps you. You're carrying forth things that you grew up with. If your mama cooked this way, it's a high likelihood that you tend to cook that way. Or, you know, what, you, we can go on and on. Uh, many of us parent like our parents. You know, that's not always true because personalities enter into that, but that's in. But a culture affects every part of the life. Culture is a saturation or a marination that you can't ever get far from. It affects every area of life. It's not something like, well, we go to the movie and then we come home. We go to the restaurant and we come home. Culture is we're there and we stay there. And if we dip out of it, we're just we're just deviating but we're still in that culture. There's lots of cultures in America. There's the Amish culture. They're different. They're just different than us because their culture is different than ours. And they brought that from uh, Europe and other places. There's uh, all sorts of cultures. We're all Christians in that sense, but there's, there's other cultures like that. So uh, verse 14 again. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. So this is our culture, is that there's a hearkening to words. This is the word that we hearken to. This is our culture. Now, there's a lot of, uh, of what do you call them, uh, sex, S-E-C-T-S, in case y'all think I'm getting over there. <laughs> or denominations or whatever that do not hear to the word. It's, uh, it's totally opinion. It's totally uh, secular. I could, I could tell you several that's in our society right now that uh, a universalist uh, type culture does not hold the word to be faultless and true. So they have a different culture. So they have scientists and philosophers and all manner of people come and they will say, uh, they'll say like in verse 14, they'll say, uh, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. And their words are what they're bringing in the culture. We are not. We bring everything from the word of God. We do not bring poetry uh, of, of itself or philosophy or, or wise words of Freud or Socrates or any number of people. We always go back to the culture, which is the word of God. See, you didn't even know you were in a culture like you are, but we are all adherents to a certain culture. Now, we all have different perspectives and looking at it as facets of it. And so we all adjust. We all adjust in what we do. We, we, uh, we have convictions that are either not formed up or, or slightly off. We're not trying to get robotic things going. We're not trying to get everybody the same. It's a culture. There's movement in the culture. Some churches, they dress to the nines, or they used to, and now they come in in their gym shorts or less, you know. Well, what happened? Well, their culture evolved. It's not good or bad. It's just their culture. And sometimes there's a disparity between their church culture 
and other church cultures. Now, our whole church culture has gone more casual, of course, but even then, wow. <laughs> Sometimes. Let's look in verse 41. Let's go back. To, let's keep going on this culture thing. It says that he, uh, in verse 14, he said, hearken to my words. So he gave some words. In verse 41, he says, they, then they that gladly received his word, so he had 20 verses of words, were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So you can see they're starting a new culture because the Jewish culture was the culture of the day. And now the Lord Jesus has come and proclaimed a new word, and his disciples, in his absence, or his, his going, now they're, they're maintaining or propagating this culture. And so it says they were baptized. That means they bought into that culture and they were added unto them in the culture. And they continued steadfastly in what? The apostles' doctrine. That was forming a new culture for them. They were changing cultures and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. A different culture. Some similarities because the Jews prayed, of course. They fellowshiped, of course. Uh, they broke bread, of course. But it was a different slant or a different take or a different perspective on something that they knew somewhat. Just like today, we're gathering together. Well, that's not anything new. It's not peculiar to the church culture to gather together. But what we do once we enter in and start might change or be different from somebody else. If you're in a, a ritual church, a, a liturgical church, then it's completely different than what we do. Everything's done from the front. Everything's done in a liturgical way. The priest does it all, and uh, he, you know, he swings the smoke, and he, you know, all those things. I'm not mocking that. I'm just saying it's different. And if you've been to an a, a Episcopal church or those churches, there's a lot of liturgical things in there, Catholics certainly. We're not, not criticizing that. We're just saying there is a difference in their culture, even though we all hold up the Lord Jesus. So it says in verse, uh, verse 33, excuse me, verse 32, And the multitude of them that believed were, there it is again, one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own. So the culture is affecting their individual lives. Did you hear it? The culture was changing or affecting their individual lives. As you buy into the culture, you change what you do, how you think, what you look to, your goals, your dreams. You adjust them. Small, a little bit at a time until someone that hadn't seen you in two years comes into your life that knew you and they go, wow, you've really, really changed. You know, what's happened? Well, I got into a different culture. I was a drunk, I was an atheist, I was a, a, a Satanist, I was a whatever, and now I'm a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. Quite a culture change, wouldn't it be? Uh, they had all things in common. Well, now that's what the Bible says of their culture. But now the church has gotten away from that culture, would you say? To a certain degree. But we all gave offerings this morning. We all gave, uh, gave into the all. So it Still, we're in that culture that we're giving of ours into the all, and then the all then will minister to the world or the needs in here. 
And with great power, the apostles gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. I like that in the culture. Great grace. Great grace. Neither was there any among them that lacked. I like that part of culture. Y'all say amen. None of them lacked. They put everything in common. You'd think that'd be a little, uh, a little uh, edgy that it would be, uh, don't know if that's going to work out. If I put my $100 in, what if somebody didn't put in but $2? And how's that going to work out? It says, neither was there any among them lack. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. My, my, according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So this was contrary to their culture, but they were, they had a conviction that, that they had taken on from hearing the word, from hearing the gospel, from hearing what, uh, uh, what Peter preached, they changed their mind and they desired a different culture. Now, if you're not a Christian and you get born again, you want to see evidence of a change. We don't want an open bar in church. We don't want poker uh, or the, the racing odds posted at the back. Because we said, I, that's where I was. That's the culture I was in. I don't want that. We don't want you coming in with one woman and going out with another woman. <laughs> you, know, you go, well, that's what we've always done. Well, you were in a different culture, but this is not that. We are a different culture. And we are all adhering to that together. It's not Joey's opinion. It's not Jonathan's opinion. We get our culture from the word of God. And we choose to do that. We could get our culture, like I told you about that other church, where they all just give their own take on it and they all decide. We get ours from a single source and we interpret it or we put it in and let it be interpreted in our lives. What does that mean? What culture do I seek? Do I want that for my life? Or do I want a little dab here and a little dab there? I want to go to church and I want God to accept me. But, and I just want to miss hell. I just, what do you have to do to miss hell? That happens all the time. People are not wanting to sell out. They're wanting to just sell in. What does it take to miss hell? And I can tell you, I, I know this for truth. Lots and lots of people are so anxious to get their culture uh, known for having all these people so-called saved, that they'll do anything to get people to come up and so-called buy into this culture of Christianity, that they'll just say, well, you know, do you want to go to heaven? Well, what fool doesn't want to go to heaven? What we want to know is what it's going to cost. And they say, well, just join the church and you'll go to heaven. We don't have to mention Jesus. We don't have to mention uh, 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 that we're that he's Lord, just say that you, you believe. I believe in heaven. And in that culture, you can be so-called saved. But you're not saved until you're saved, are you? <laughs> it doesn't matter who they say or what they say. You're not saved until you're saved. And so that, that culture is out there. 
a really uh, easy believism. So there's a difference between Christian churches, even from that, to maybe us or another church, where the culture is not the same. So we shop around, usually because of a friend, a relationship, and they tell us, I'm going to a church that's just blessing my heart, just helping me, and I like them, and I feel good there, and I'm learning, and this, that, and the other. Come go with me. And we say, I want a culture change. I'm going to go with, with Johnny Bob. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go see if that can fit. And that's how we all got into church. That's how almost all of us got into this kind of church, is somebody that, uh, that brought us in. So... Uh, there's a cause for revival, a cultural revival, but you have to embrace certain things. You're going to have to have a conviction about revival because it's like losing weight. You can have a conviction on Monday and, and then mama baked that chocolate cake on Tuesday and we have a new conviction that starts on Wednesday <laughs> or Thursday, depending on when that cake disappears. You know, you go, well, that's, yeah, that's culture. That's, that's the American culture. They don't do that in West Africa. You know, that their culture is different. They, they, don't, they don't even have floors. They don't even have electricity. They don't have anything that we say this is a necessity. They've never even seen it before. So we're blessed. But what we're endeavoring to do is not settle for the American dream, the American culture. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it till overflow. Paul said that God wants you to have exceeding abundantly above what? All that you can ask or think. Well, now that's a culture. That's a heaven's culture. We, we don't even in America so blessed. We can't even get our head around that culture. So we just, you know, dab at it. We just hit at it and see if we can go over there a little bit. But it, it's like that's, that's against my culture. I'm used to just being in America where everybody gets an opportunity and everybody can get blessed. And if you work hard and all that sort of stuff. This, this gospel culture is foreign to other cultures. And I'm going to tell you, so is a revival culture. It is foreign. It is anathema to, to church. Everybody will say, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to not golf on Wednesday and Thursday because our church is in revival. And mama said, we got to go up there and we got to put in our time. Happens all the time. I, I can tell you, I've been in that very scenario for years. That's the culture, and everybody agreed with it. It wasn't like, oh, did you hear what somebody said? No, they all said it, and that's how they were all operating. So if we want to change cultures, there's going to be a change or a transformation in our inner work. It's not something you just paste on and says, well, I'm in a new culture now, and and I think I'm going to, no, it's something you have to buy into, and it's solid. Let me give you some things that, uh, about revival. Until you say, I want this culture, I, I'm buying in, sign me up. Let me tell you the words that describe the descriptors of a revival culture. And I'll, I'll go fairly slow, but uh, inconvenient. Hard work. No, pastor, we want to just go and sing and go home. Inconvenient, hard work, mind-blowing. <laughs> That's an old word. Explosive. Changes. Reformation. 
Anybody want to say calf rope yet? Resisted, even by those that say they are hungry. Resisted. Revival culture is resisted. Surrender. Work. Consecration. Alert. Intentional. There's Jonathan's word. Revival culture is intentional. Gather. Continually free of distraction. Continually. In other words, we've got to work at it. We've got to surrender. Surrendered hearts. We're talking about the culture. We're not talking about, I went Tuesday and Wednesday and surrendered my heart. But I sure was get back, glad to get back to my stuff on Thursday. Unwavering agreement. Unwavering, unwavering agreement. Well, that's going to require something. Investment of time, investment of energy, and here it is, investment of passion. Mm, lots of people don't get passionate until somebody's leaving this world or in danger or needing us. Papa, I need $1,000 to finish college. Papa's all of a sudden, he's passionate. He's going to find that money, isn't he? Fiery prayer. Fiery prayer. Continual prayer. House of prayer. House of prayer. Sober purposes. Sober. Responsibility. What's a good word for the culture, the revival culture? Responsibility. I'll have to carry you and you'll have to carry me. Wondrous opportunities. I like that one. Fire of God. Night and day. Awe and trembling. Fear of the Lord. <laughs> oh, not that one. Ah, oh, come on. Fear of the Lord. Brokenness. Oh, we could have done without that. Nope. Revival culture's got it in there, doesn't it? Brokenness. Repentance. Historic. Here's one. Culture shock. As you leave one culture... It's quite the shock to go to this one. Truth. Religious spirits reacting. If y'all weren't so busy, you'd have said amen right there. Religious spirits reacting to the revival culture. Uh, marvel and amazement. Comfort zones threatened. Long list. Personal endeavors Disrupted. Oh, yeah. Prophetic decrees. Shocking, but liberating. Wonders. Supernatural. Baptism of fire. Dying to self. Humility. Boldness. Burning spirit of prayer. Oh, that just, all that just, you look up all those and get the synonyms for them, and we just keep going and going. But this will hold us. This will make you where you have enough information to make a decision. 
Well, we don't have to do it all at once. No culture is immediate, only the desire. The desire for a culture is immediate, but the transition takes perhaps a lifetime. Because that dying to self is not just today and tomorrow. That burning prayer is just prayer until it's a little warm, until it gets a little warmer. Uh, night and day is first part of night and part of day. Intentional is always good to have, but doesn't always mean we've been tested on intentional. So you can see there's a lot of pushback on a culture of revival. Let me just tell you, that's why it's not very many places. It's got to be a consensus. I can say I'm for it. I can get my life going towards it, but it wouldn't be a culture. It would be a testimony. My testimony, your testimony. But a culture is when we all buy in and that we're okay with those that say, that's not for me. That'll be something that we'll all have to, every, every revival culture has to deal with is that somebody says, that's not me. It's been real, it's been good, it's been fun, but goodbye. And you have to say, well, love you, see you in heaven, see you on the other side, but I must go this way. It's very costly. Uh, culture is like the cup is the coffee. It holds something good. You, you just can't, you cannot enjoy coffee without a cup. <laughs> it just, it doesn't go good anywhere. There's just no way to, to transition. It's the wine skin to the wine. It holds the good stuff. And so I always say this, so I thought this was a good place to say it. And this would be, there'd be exceptions in this room. I'm, I'm looking at you. Hallelujah. <laughs> Nobody likes salad. Nobody likes lettuce. Now, that's my conviction. That's my culture. But you got to have salad. You got to have all that stuff to hold up the good stuff, to put the croutons on, to put the cheese on, to put the tomatoes on, to put the dressing on. Nobody's saying, I'll take a lettuce. Like I said, there's exception. When I say nobody, I'm talking facetiously. Nobody says, I just want a green salad with nothing. Just bring me a head of lettuce and I'll do my own. Nobody wants a potato. There are exceptions. I've been there when they did it and I thought they were strange. That just wants a potato. I want a dry potato. Now, I, I actually order a dry potato, but then I take ranch dressing and just uh, Noah's Ark, I just float it up. Hallelujah. <laughs> So uh, that's the way, uh, that's the way revival is. It's got to have a container. It's got to have something. The culture holds up the revival. What we believe about prayer holds up signs and wonders on another day. What we believe about uh, day and night makes revival happen for somebody else. Our life is sanctified, crucified, consecrated. Suddenly we're ready, we're prepared to help somebody else get over there and get into the revival culture that we're in. So it doesn't have a direct result of, well, I'm in a revival culture, I'll just cast the devil out of you. No, the culture says I'm going to have to be with like-minded believers. I'm going to have to have a doctrine in there where I know what I can do and, and do it every time. And then I've got to be consecrated to know that I'm going in to cast the devil out. And so there's going to be warfare of some kind. So there's a lot before you get to the actual thing that, that we call revival, where people surrender, people get filled with the Holy Ghost, people get healed and delivered. 
somebody has to be sustaining or, or lifting up a culture that brings all that to bear. It's not just me. It's not just you. That's not a culture. Now, you ought to do it. You ought to go down to your neighbor, and you ought to go across the street, and you ought to get in the store, and somebody has a, a, a catch in their giddy long, then you ought to go over there and say, can I pray for you, and then and get them healed. But that's not a culture. Of, that's not a culture, but it comes out of a culture. It's the result of a culture. You, you've been with people that they say, boy, that was fun. And you go, well, I want to do that too. So out of that culture, you say, I'm, I'm going to go do that. Nobody's wishing for an outhouse. Everybody wants that, that fleshy thing where you hit the knob and everything disappears. Yeah. <laughs> Can I be so bold? Hallelujah. Nobody wants that other, but it's, it's just a lot of uh, uh, trouble. So um, the, the, the opposite of, a, of revival is retirement. We just cannot put retirement in our vocabulary. Now, you can slow down and you can adjust and you can, you can navigate and all those things, but you know, retirement is not a Bible word, but revival is. And they're, they're just, you cannot retire from revival. <laughs> Amen. We know this in other cultures. We have a lottery culture in America now. Somewhat. It's, it hadn't got traction in Alabama, thank the Baptists, praise God. They, they don't like them, and I don't either. But there's no doubt, you know, we talk about it, and you've experienced it, read about it, where somebody didn't have a culture of prosperity, but they won the lottery. Or, or Uncle Jack left him a bunch. What happens if you don't have a culture to hold up that prosperity? It's dissipated. It's gone. You lose it. You see, you see great despair on those people that were once just getting along in their culture, and then all of a sudden all the relatives show up and all the trouble, and they bought something, and they got on drugs or whatever people do with too much money for their culture, and it destroys them. They hate it. They despise it. Many of them just say, I wish it had never come. Well, you've got to develop a culture, and the same thing with revival. If to have revival in the land... You have to have a culture, or it'll be too much. You, you, without the culture, you can't pray all night. Otherwise, you'd be doing it already. We do it because, like in the Marine Corps, you're not, after, you're not trying to win the war for the general. You're winning the war for your buddy right here on the left and on the right. You're, you're, you're doing for him, not for some political reason. Well, the same thing in revival. We, we get it because we're doing it for our lives. This is, it's not just me, it's us. And that's very important to us. And so uh, if, if you get healed, y'all know that in healing meetings like uh, Benny Hinn and others, uh, traditionally, they say, 85% of the people that get healed, supernatural, miraculous, amazing, on TV, documented, the doctor said, they lose their healing. Why is that? Because they go back to a culture that does not call on God or that does not receive the goodness of God. So they get condemned if they mess up or, or if a symptom comes back, they get condemned. They throw it away saying, I guess it didn't work or, or I'm condemned. God's mad at me again. Their culture does not sustain what happened. Therefore, they lose. And so that's why very few revival cultures can be sustained is because there is a cost. And you have to get beyond, well, I'm here to save the world. You've got to get where you say, uh, my life 
and those around me that I love, my church, it's worth it. And they're doing it, so I'm going to get in and do it as well. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, if you would. Matthew chapter 13. And we're just laying a foundation this morning about the culture. And then we're going to talk about the, the many things that make up a culture. Things It's not just like, okay, everybody throw their hat in, and we'll all say yes, and we'll sign everybody up, and then we'll have prayer on Tuesday. That's, that's not what this is all about. It's, it's a heart change. It's intentional. Like Jonathan said, it's intentional. And we move everything in our life that does not fit in the culture, that's, that's, that's comfortable with another culture, we start moving it towards a common culture. Something that we all agree on, this is, this is it. And the reason that it'll work for us is because we all know that we're bought with a price and that we're not our own. If you think, bless God, I'm not doing all that stuff because I, I want to have fun and I want to get some money and I want to, you know, see the world or whatever. Well, that's a counterculture. doesn't mean that you can't do any of that. It just means it can't be first. It can't be your goal, your dream. You cannot aspire to it. You aspire to serving God. You seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things are added unto you. You have to go, you have to, go to him first, and then it never says to pray for things in the word. It says, to, you know, for your needs, but everything is up to him. Jesus, your Lord. And I prove you my lordship. Here, Lord, I'm in the plate. I'm in the plate. This isn't green money. This is me in the plate. He said, well, I got to sustain that. I got I to keep that going. I got to meet that heart. Amen. So Matthew 13, verse 12. Let's see where we are here. Verse 12. Here's a kingdom principle. I hope you've got it marked. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given. Now, lots of people don't like this. They, mis they, they misread it. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. Is that true? Yes. Could we say amen to that? Amen. Because it's red letter. It's not even in the Bible. It's Jesus' words. Whoever, whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not. Well, we could use the man that won the lottery. He hath not. What did he hath not? He had no culture. He had no basis. He had no foundation for what came. The, the person that got healed, they got to go get in the word. They got to go get in church. They got to go find out why did God heal me? Well, because he loves me. And he can't, I can't do anything to make him love me less. Can't do anything to make him love me more. That's why I'm healed. Well, therefore, therefore, and therefore. Well, it says, and whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away even that he hath. So it's like that scripture that says that there's a stricter judgment on teachers. If you've been given something, you have to, you have to use it. You have to use it. You got you to you exercise stewardship over your gift. We could go to Matthew 25 where the master went away and left all his goods to three men. And, and when he came back, he, he rewarded them. But the one that did not do anything but buried his one talent, the master took away his talent. I guess they dug it up and gave it to the man with ten. You go, well, that's not fair. That's exactly how the kingdom works. And that's exactly why you and I and anyone else that's going to that's gonna be after the word to do it God's way, that's why we prosper. That's why things work for us. That's why there's favor and grace on our life, because we're after the master. 
We're going to do with what we've been given to do. And, and the principle is also this. If you'll do what you can, God will do what you can't. Well, God, I'm waiting around for you to do this. Well, you go do what you can. You go give and you go work and you go serve. And then that thing that's impossible that nobody can help you with, God said, I can do that. I can open the Red Sea. I can get you across. But everybody's waiting on God. I need a miracle. Sure you do. We all do. We all do or we will. But you got, you can't, you got to be about the master's business. You got to be sowing your life in one dimension, a natural dimension, so you can pick it up in another dimension, a miracle or, or the, the, the dream, your dream come true, whatever it is that you want in your family or whatever you want for, for whatever that, that you can't affect, you can't do it. Well, then God will raise up somebody that can do it that you don't even know and they don't care. But they go like, God told me to come and do this for you and I don't even know why. Well, you do because you laid down your life in one dimension and you picked it up in another. So back to this, this principle. This is a principle. This is a law of the kingdom. It cannot be not true. Gravity will cease. The sun will fail to come up before this thing will fail. You, we all got to get that little thing down there. It cannot fail. You can work around it, you can, you can, but it cannot fail. Uh, for whosoever hath, to him shall be given. Let me read it in the, uh, today's English. For the person who has something will be given more so that he will have more than enough. So we're not working on the more than enough. We're working on just doing with what we have. We're not holding on to what we have and saying, you know, this might not be enough. I better hold on to it. No, we're sowing it. We're planting it. We're using it. We're investing it in the kingdom. And, and it says so that he will have more than enough. Well, that sounds like giving it shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give in your bosom. With what measure you meet with all, it shall be measured again unto you. Wow. But the person who has nothing will have taken away from him even the little he has. So he's guarding it. He's, he's, he's built a fence around, a wall around his life. I'm not going to give anybody anything. Go get your own stuff. And I don't, you know, ever the government's after you and the church is after you and the preacher's after you. And, and I'm going to build a fence around what I have. The word says you'll lose what little you have. It will not progress. Uh, Dr. Cole, E.L. Cole always said that things left to themselves just naturally go to the devil. So if you're not using what you got, you're going to lose what you got. Now, that's the principle. The, uh, let's see, the passion says those who don't listen with an open, teachable heart, even the understanding that they think they will have, that they have, will be taken away from them. Now, I'm telling you, there's idiots. There's old fools that once were serving God, but got full of themselves, got to thinking they were something hot, Something that they were self-made. I'm a self-made man. Nobody is a self-made man. You just work the principles. Even if you didn't know God, you work the principles of God. The Jews are doing an excellent job of that, and they don't even know Jesus. But they work the principles. And uh, uh, we're in charge. You wonder, why didn't God smack the Germans after they killed six million Jews? You go, well, what's that all about? Well, let me tell you why it's all about. 
Because the church is in charge. All authority has been given unto us. Not, God doesn't have it. Germany actually prospered after World War II. After they got their stuff together and we helped them get on their feet, they are blowing and going now. And they killed six million of God's people. And God didn't do a thing. But he did everything the church commanded. He did everything the church prayed out. He did everything the church would authorize. But he couldn't do anything more. Because we're in that age. We're in that that grace age. But I tell you, there's a time coming when we're raptured out of here, everything is going back to the Old Testament. And there'll be nobody here in charge. There'll be nobody here with authority. So God will begin to move in his authority like he did in the Old Testament. God judged. God opened, like Deborah's been reading, he opened the Red Sea. He smacked them with boils and flies and grasshoppers. How come God could do that? Because man didn't have any authority. None. Until Jesus gave us authority, we had no authority. But now you go, where's God? We have to even be careful saying God is in control. Because God's not in control. I'm getting off my subject here, but, but we're in a faith culture too that says I'm going to know what the Word says no matter if, it, if I'm not comfortable with it. I'm going to believe it. And we're not comfortable with saying God's not in control. And people don't like it when I say that, but he's not in control. If he was, he's doing a sorry job. He's not getting it done. Would you all agree he's not getting it done? It's going to hell in a handbasket, so to speak. And he's not getting his way. But whose way is getting their way? We are. Well, how come it's so sorry? We are. It's because the church doesn't have a culture of revival, doesn't have a culture of authority, doesn't have a culture of I'm in charge. And this is going the way I say. That's why I don't, I've told you all, I don't like when we say it is what it is. Now, the sun comes up, it is what it is. I, I get that. The wind's blowing, it is what it is. But everything else about my future, you got a symptom, it is what it is. No, it's not. It is what I say it is. Well, we don't ever have nothing around our house. It's what you say. It's not what I'm saying, and that's not what I'm having. So the culture is important. You go, well, we're just all Christians. It doesn't matter. We all believe the same. Not at all. I came out of a church that didn't believe any of this. I listen to it all the time. People in their religious tones tell me, well, God's in control, which is just an exit sign for them to say, I don't have to do anything. If God wants it done, he's a big boy. He can do it. If you don't want it done, well, then who am I? I'm a worm. Well, no, you're not. You're the righteousness of God in him. As he is, so are you in this world. And greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. The world, the world, the world. All the trouble here, greater is he that's in you. And he's in you, so he can't can't do it apart from you. It's this mouth that's the mouth of God. It's these hands that are the hands of God. He's working through me. He became one spirit with us. He's not over in the mountain where he used to be. He used to be on the mountain. He used to be over there, but he's not there. He's in here. Oh, that's so good. We're not going to get anywhere this morning, I can tell you. (laughs) Hallelujah. But uh, we'll just stay with that. Hallelujah. I want revival. 
I'll tell you why I want revival. Uh, it's real selfish, and it really is. I don't want to leave this earth without doing what I could have done. I, I don't want to lose, I don't want to abandon my post. So it's like, if it's all the same, you get to heaven, it's just like, oh, if you made it over here, that's all there is. I tell you, I've understood that when we go to heaven, there's seven years we're going to be in heaven before, and, and before we come back for the millennial reign. And in those seven years, everybody thinks we're going to be doodle-doodle-doo, but we're not. We're going to school. We're going to school to learn how to rule and reign for a thousand years on earth. You go, I thought heaven was no school. His word will never pass away. So we're going to school. Well, you're going to kindergarten, or as some of my kin folks, you're going to pre-K. <laughs> you, you, you don't know enough to go to kindergarten. You, you go over there. We, we'll, we'll be in there to change diapers in just a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to go to captain school. I don't want to go to lieutenant school and sergeant school and butt private school. I want to go to captain school. I'd like to go to general school. You go, well, that's kind of selfish. It's all about me. Serving him, it's all about me. It's up to me. It's not up to you whether I go to, if I serve God or not. No, none of you would, I mean, you'd care for six days. I know I left a marvelous church that I founded and pastored for 14 years and three months, and I left it in West Texas, and they all cried until the U-Haul was over the hill. And then they couldn't even remember my name. What? Who, who was it that left? Now, I'm, I'm being facetious somewhat, but I'm telling you, you better do it for you. You better, you better change for you. Because we want you to go. We want you to serve. We want you to be in the culture. It's marvelous. And our competition is the world, is religion, is tradition. That's what you'd have to leave, is powerlessness and, and uh, neutrality, where you please all the people on every side. That's what you'll have to leave. You'll have to have a conviction. You'll have to go to prayer. Why do we have to go to prayer? Well, we've got to go to prayer because... Christians pray. No, because we got to keep trouble out of our life. We got to keep the devil from stealing, killing, and destroying. We got to, we got to, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's not, we're not ignorant of his devices, but that means he's got some devices. And so, yeah, we're going to pray. We pray here in the Holy Ghost. Why is that? Because we don't, we don't, we know not what we should pray as we ought. So we have to pray. We got to pray out in the Holy Ghost. Well, what does that do? Everything. Everything. Now, you just, you just go and pray for somebody that you pray for out Nelda that's got a gimpy knee, and you pray for her in your closet, and you get down, and you bring out Nelda up, and you say, oh, Lord, she's a good one. She's helped me. She's everything. And then you get to praying for her knee, and, and the clock, you finally come out of the closet, and the clock has ticked off four and a half minutes, and you're done. You've, you've prayed everything for Aunt Nelda there is, but you don't know what to pray for as you ought. You could go back in that closet and pray in the Holy Ghost, and you might not come out that afternoon. But when you call Aunt Nelda, she's preaching the gospel. She's, she's on a ship to, to Siberia to preach to the... <laughs> change. So we change our lives praying in that. That's a part of this culture, is you got to go to work. But I'll tell you, it's like exercise. Now, I don't know much about this. I can tell you I don't. And I'm not looking to know too much. But they say, Melissa will tell you, that you get your second wind. Now, I have, had, I have been where I got my second wind. And I was grateful. 
because I was just fixing to quit. And all of a sudden it kicked in. And what happened? I don't know. The Holy Ghost. Now it was my second win. And uh, so once you engage in prayer, once you engage in meetings, once you engage in Bible studies, once you engage in, in, in studying the Holy Ghost, you get your second win. It seems like work at first. It seems like, ah, because you're used to watching Westerns on Tuesday and Mysteries on Thursday and, and you give all that up. But all of a sudden, ah, who needs that mess? All of a sudden, you get a new culture in your life. The change is what's hard. But once you transition, most people can't change. They can't, they can't last but a week. They can't last but a month. So how are we going to do it? We're all going to go in together. I'm not going to require anything. I'm not going to be asking you to do anything. If we, if we all go in together, it'll be by individual consensus. You just decide, I'm in, and we won't ask. I'm not asking, are you in? Are you not in? We're just going to lead, and whoever wants to follow, jump in. That's the way the kingdom is. And it's not, it's not by constraint. It's not by uh, edict or, or dictum or, or whatever. It's not like, well, we're requiring everybody. That's old. We just lead. He got up and preached. 3,000 people said, I'm in. And then he moved on. And that's what I want. I don't want to leave this world. And I've lived a good life. And I've obeyed God. I've done neat things and obeyed him in neat things. But what if too much is given, much is required? What if I just barely touched the edge of it and he said, you did all that so I could get you to do this and you never got, you never got there. Now, I don't like that. I don't think you do either. We ought to leave this earth by the rapture, this generation. But if you're in another generation or if the rapture is further away than I think it is, then you ought to depart. You ought to run your race and finish your course. You ought to know if you finished your course. Well, the way you know that is because you get satisfied with life. With long life, he'll satisfy you. And if you're not satisfied, you, just, you hadn't run your race yet or you hadn't finished your course because you'll have a release. You go, well, I don't know anybody that did that. <laughs> That's because most people don't finish their course. They retire. They retire. About the time they know something, which I consider that to be my age, about the time I finally figured out that the the A is on the front of the alphabet and the Z is on the other end and everything's kind of in order in between. By the time I figured that out, everybody in my age is retiring. They're like, well, my time's up. I can get this much money and I can go sit by the pool. Well, that's not it. I just now am worth something to the kingdom. Just now know enough to pay attention. And so this is my finest hour. I hope it's yours. Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for inspiring us in the Holy Ghost individually that you spoke things this morning that were never said. And Lord, we yield. We yield to this seed of your calling this morning. I know there'll be more calling. There'll be more seeds of that calling. But Lord, this morning, we're saying yes to the possibility of yes. And so I thank you, Lord, that, that you, you move on us this week to be hungry, to be that list of revival culture, and that we just say yes to entering into the race. We don't know how it'll go. We don't know what we can do. We don't know how long we'll last. We, don't, we just don't know, but we're willing to give you 
a shot at us by enticing us with your goodness. And Lord, it's your goodness that we want. So I thank you for River Church. I thank you, Lord. The call of God on us is great. And therefore, the call in us is great. And we'll rise up in that call. Whatever it is, we don't know how many it takes. We don't know how much money it takes. We don't know how much praying it'll take. We don't know. But we're bought with a price. I'm bought with a price, Lord. It's not up to me to determine what I can and cannot do. I'm bought with a price. I'm the hammer in the carpenter's hand. I, you know, you aim me at the nails you want hit, and that's where I am. That's where we are. We, we have no agenda. We're just a hammer. So thank you, Lord, for using us to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Ah, I tell you, Jesus is wonderful. He's just so, he's just so kind. He's just like, I'm fixing to call you up to go to deep, dark Afghanistan, and I'm giving you a water pistol, and I want you back on Wednesday. It's like, okay. <laughs> I mean, doesn't it feel like that sometimes? It's like, God, there's nothing here, nothing in me. Now, why me? Well, there's a lot of us here, and together, we can put 10,000 to flight. Amen. amen, amen. Thank you for joining us on River Church Live. We'll be back Wednesday night. Hope you can tune in.